Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome everybody to the Celtics Blog Podcast. It's Bobby Manning here on a. Tuesday night. This will be dropping Wednesday. And as you know by now, if you ever arrive at CelticsBlog.com, if you checked it out at all this week, you know it is 76ers week. So the Celtics Blog podcast is joining the party. And to do so, we have two guests here from the Liberty Ballers. I'm going to be holding it down for the Celtics side alone tonight, which is a scary thought. On the 76ers side, we have two guests, Sean Kennedy and... Kevin F. Love. Not, not that Kevin Love, the other Kevin Love. They're both here <laughs> representing the 76ers, and we're going to have a nice chat tonight. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us on, Bobby. I'm excited to chat a little bit about this rivalry. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, is this a little overconfidence on this part, you, on, uh, on your part, that you think you can go uh, two-on-one right here and take us on? <laughs> <laughs> I've done it before on the basketball court. I'm pretty good at the one-on-two, so we'll try it on the podcast as well. Kevin, You've probably been asked this a million times, but how's it, how's life in the basketball world with the name Kevin Love, especially as a Sixers fan? I, I mean, it's it's not bad, you know. I mean, it gives me like it, kind of an instant credibility until people actually see my frame and that I'm about eight inches to probably I don't know ten inches shorter than the real Kevin Love. Actually, let me let me rephrase that. The other Kevin Love, um, I believe his parents <laughs> named him after me, so. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I've been using it to my advantage as much as I can. Sean, what are, you, what are you most excited for about this season in particular? Because I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I don't know if I'm the first one to tell you this, but the 76ers didn't exactly make any big-time splashes this summer. No LeBron James, no Paul George, which probably hurt more than anything because I thought the Sixers had a real chance at getting him. And no Kawhi Leonard in the end. You're coming away with Wilson Chandler? That's that's nice, but n- oh, nothing... Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bobby. I mean, they got a few bench pieces. I think their depth should be a little better this year, which is great. But, yeah, the, the, the star hunting didn't quite work out as everybody hoped. Uh, that's, you know, been talked to death already. We all know that. But I think the part that, of Brett Brown's statement that everybody forgets is the star developing. So... That's what I'm really looking forward to this season. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Simmons uh, maybe start to explore taking jump shots every once in a while and see what that does to open up his game offensively. I, I want to see Embiid uh, take a little bit better care of the ball and work on his passing out of the post and off the uh, little dribble drive game that he has going. Both those guys were uh, 
great defenders last year. Embiid, of course, was a runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year, and Ben Simmons got, I believe, got a few down-ballot votes for all defense. So just seeing two young guys play like that on both ends of the court is uh, something I'm looking forward to. And then, of course, the great unknown, Markel Fultz. We had the uh, Drew Hanlon hype machine in full gear all summer long. Which I love. Yeah, he's he's saying he could be an all-star. I don't know. I'm not going to go that far, obviously, in his first year. <laughs> yeah, I just want to see Markel Fultz that we saw out of Washington. There was a reason he was the first overall pick, um, and he was a consensus first overall pick, not a guy that people thought it was a reach. So I want to see Fultz uh, back and unhypnotized, unbrainwashed, forgetting how to shoot, and I, I, I want to see him back at the player we uh thought he was capable of when we took him first overall so did you say consensus number one overall pick unlike that other celtics player that wasn't the consensus number one overall pick (laughs) hey jason tatum's a great player but if you go and you look at all the uh draft boards and mock drafts heading into that draft i think nine out of ten had uh markel fultz as the uh number one pick And and the other one was danny ainge (laughs) <laughs> yep. Hey, man, that's that's what you got to do. Sometimes you got to go against the green. And uh, that's that's how you get value in this league. So, hey, kudos to him for taking Tatum. I don't I don't know if I completely buy the fact that uh, Tatum was number one regardless uh, on their board or they're just saying that after the fact because they, they did the trade down and it happened to work out for them. But either way, it was a great pick by him. You got to tip your cap to Danny Ainge. But uh yeah, I think uh, we're still excited to see what Fultz has to offer. And that's where this whole thing started, right? Right after that trade happened with the 76ers and Celtics, it was it was like buildings burning down in Boston. Everybody's like, what's going on? Because Fultz came to the Garden. Pretty much everybody had him coming to Boston. And all of a sudden, that's out the window. The Sixers are going to get Fultz. It looked like he was going to be the splashy first-year addition for them that was going to transform their point guard position. Ultimately, that didn't come to fruition, as we know with by how the season panned out. But I was talking to Trevor Lane about this a couple episodes ago, because you don't hear too much about the Lakers in that whole discussion. Like They could have had Jason Tatum too, but they were all in on Lonzo Ball. I'll ask you guys, is there any amount of regret in not taking Tatum? If you had to go back and do it again, would any part of you consider taking Tatum number one overall? Go, leading into the draft, I, I wasn't very big on Tatum, and now I I can see that I'm totally wrong. And um, I, I don't know. You look at his skill set, and I think he could fit in pretty seamlessly with this Sixers team. So you, you kind of see, especially in the playoffs, what Tatum's contributing, and you, you wish you could have that out of Fultz, um, you know, at least as far as the production level. So there's a little regret as far as you just look at him, and it's like, you know, wow, th- this kid could have fit in perfectly with the Sixers team but at the same time you know I I say perfectly and that's not really you know the right word to talk about Tatum with I mean he would fit in very well with the Sixers team just because of the way he can get his own bucket and the Sixers do need that but if Foles can be the player that we saw at Washington I'll still take that 10 times out of 10 just because it allows Ben Simmons to relieve himself of some pressure. And that, that's really what I think Ben needs. We saw in the Celtics series alone just how they can back off Ben. And that really kind of relegates him to a role where he can't thrive. So I, I would say there's not yet regret that we didn't end up with Tatum because of how well the, you know, the theory of Fultz fits in with Ben Simmons. And it kind of gives you two point guards on the court at the same time if they can play off each other. So regret, not yet, but 
I, I definitely could see how Tatum would have fit in pretty well with this Sixers team. And if Fultz doesn't show me something this season, then yeah, by the end of the season, there's there will definitely be a whole lot of regret that the Sixers not only passed on Tatum, but gave up an asset in the process of doing so. That Kings pick, that Kings pick's coming our way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I, that that that's going to be lingering over me all summer. I mean, all all, all season. Um, I I think I'll be paying attention to the Kings just as much as I'll be paying attention to the Sixers this season. And, and you still look back. Yeah, we still uh, have that top one protection. That is true. That was very key. I, I gave the Sixers big credit for slipping that in there because the Kings could win the lottery this year. There's new odds and everything like that. But that's going to be huge. If they, if it pans out that the Sixers end up getting the number one pick next year by some chance, I think it's like a... I, I don't have the percentages in front of me, but if you're in the top three, I think it's equal, like 15% each way or something like that. But that'll be... A substantial boost for them looking back on that trade and it is still so early in that trade's history but that's what we're going to look back on as this rivalry starts brewing for what looks like going to be the next half decade decade or so is that initial point where the Sixers go with Fultz Celtics go with Tatum I- I've been big on Tatum for a while I got to see him play up at Syracuse the way he just looked like the most transcendent player on the court like he didn't belong there really struck me in that game but I still love Fultz you know, the, the what he went through last year was so weird, but I see the way he glides on the court and how well he moves on the ball and how good his basketball sense is elsewhere aside from all the shooting concerns, and those are massive concerns. But everything else for him looks good to me. I love his frame as a defender. I think he has enough feet fluidity to be a good defender at the point guard position. I love him as a passer. It is a little bit awkward there, the lineup, the way they've constructed it. Like, I'm not opposed to having multiple ball handlers. In fact, I think that's a great thing. But where Simmons dominates the ball so much, and he he doesn't strike me as a great player off the ball, I think that can be a little bit awkward when they're both out there together. Yeah, it's definitely a, an area where Simmons could stand to improve. And I think we didn't get to see it as much last season just because they didn't really have that secondary ball handler to let him kind of develop that part of his game. Yeah. But yeah, he's not going to be a guy that stands outside the three point line and spaces the floor. But I think uh, an area they could really look to utilize him is as, as the, the pick part of the pick and roll. I mean, he's just, it's easy to forget because he's a point guard, but he's a legitimate six ten player and having him, and uh, a real point guard, if uh, that's what Fultz turns out to be, that would be just a dynamite combination. You have, uh, you could have Simmons do that kind of uh, short roll that Draymond Green does with the Warriors, and with his playmaking ability, that could be a deadly uh, thing to utilize with them. And also, you know, he has to work on his cutting and getting to the basket, and you know, with his ability to finish, that's an, another place that he, he could really be a, an asset on the offensive end. So. There's there's ways he could improve, but I, I think he's he's still a work in progress in that area. And I I mean to build on what Sean just said, uh, I think Ben really needs to get comfortable getting into the post, getting deep into the post, and becoming a passer out of the post, um, especially for those small ball lineups when they want to take and beat off the court. I'm not saying Ben could play center. I mean maybe he could, maybe he couldn't. But really what. He needs to develop this season if he's going to play with Fultz is his ability to get deep into the post and pass out of the post if people are going to collapse on him or just find cutters. Because I think if he can be comfortable in that role, getting 
down in the post and being that passer, I think that that's really how him and Fultz are going to be able to play off each other. Um, but until then, you're right. You know, it's an odd kind of roster construction for now if Ben isn't going to take that leap as either a cutter or a post passer and be able to kind of man this man the five on defense when Joel is off the court. It is a weird-looking roster. It really is. And you you have such phenomenal big men. I, I love what they're doing at the five, at the four with Simmons there. And even Simmons playing the one out of the four position is an interesting thing in today's game. I think what last year's team really lacked, and the reason they just got bodied in that series, I mean, that was just an unexpected domination by the Celtics and I still look back at that series and I think the biggest reason Philadelphia was unable to compete is because you got Marco Bellinelli playing minutes at the three you got JJ Redick playing minutes at the three and those guys are helping you space the four but they were just getting completely knocked on their defensively it was unbelievable how Brown and Tatum and all of them were going at them I wonder how Wilson Chandler is going to change that team because he really is the only big difference going into next year for them. Yeah, just to go back a little bit, what you were saying, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people talk about how the the Sixers needed to add some more offense this season, and I really don't think that was the problem in the Celtics series. The problem was that they didn't have enough two-way players, and they were just getting abused by, like you said, Tatum or, or whoever it might have been just going at Reddick, going at Bellinelli over and over again. And if you can play them off the floor like that, it, it not only hurts the Sixers' spacing, it really limits what Ben Simmons can do on the floor because he's not a scorer. He, he's a creator. And if you're going to play J.J. Reddick off the floor, if you're going to play you know, Marco Bellinelli off the floor, it only hampers the entire offense in a sense that Ben can't do what he's best at. Yeah, uh, first, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't push back on the domination comment in Come the on, series. Four to one. I, yeah, it's four one, but you know, game three went to overtime, and that was a game that the Sixers faithful have been kicking themselves over all summer long about that they let that one slip away. Game two was you know down to the final minute. It, it very easily could have been two two, or in a perfect world, even three one heading into game five in favor of the Sixers. <laughs> but I, I know your uh, your Celtics blogs listeners don't want to don't want to hear me uh, drone on about that. Um, so to your point, um, I think yeah, Wilson Chandler is going to. Be a help uh, defensively, as uh, Kevin alluded to. He's a he's a bigger guy. He can play some small four or um, at the small forward there, and he's just a he's a vet. He he's mobile enough. He's getting up there in age, but I think he's mobile enough to uh, in short stints handle guards on, on the switch switching defenses that Brett Brown likes to employ. And um, I think another possibility uh, down the road, and this certainly took a hit with his uh, foot injury this summer, but was Zaire Smith. Yes. Um, that he, he's the guy. Yeah, he was a guy with a lot of raw defensive potential. He played power forward at Texas Tech, but we've seen him uh, in college and in uh, brief stints in summer league where he was switching on to point guards even. So in an, uh, an ideal world, he would have been developed into a guy that could switch uh, between three, maybe even four positions defensively. He was obviously very raw offensively, so he needs a lot of work on that end. And his Jones fracture injury is you know, a big setback in that area. Maybe he comes back in late December, early January, and by the time uh, the postseason rolls around, he's ready to go and a part of the rotation. So that's that's how something does, that... How does that keep happening? It, it, it's None of it's related, but it really is just so wacky how New Orleans Noel, 
Joel Okafor, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz for all intents and purposes. Pretty much every single player they've drafted in the process era has suffered a massive injury year one. How does that happen? It's it's the baptism. It's the baptism to becoming a sixer. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a there's a ritual that you go through to be initiated into the process. You have to trust the process, and that's your. It's like a trust fall. You get injured, and you you have to fully embrace the trust of the process. I, I think of what it is, but yeah, it's just unbelievable bad luck. Like who knows why these series of injuries have befallen this franchise? It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I hear Jones fracture, and that's what Ben Simmons suffered. Closer to the season, obviously, but he missed the whole entire season. Are we going to see Smith this year? Sean, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think Ben suffered his injury about two months later than Zaire. And also, Ben, I'm no doctor, obviously. Apparently, what Ben had was a bonding of the bones that were in the vicinity of the injury. And that is what caused really the setback. As far as the bonding goes, it's you know it varies person to person. It's not something that you can expect or foresee. And I think that's really the major reason that Ben ended up sitting out the whole season. And I think it was like maybe he could have played a few games in April. And if, you know, at that point it was like, you know, what the hell, chalk it up. We'll we'll go for rookie of the year next year and yeah. do that kind of thing. So, you know, there's a narrative that he sat out just because of the rookie of the year. But uh, he did have that, you know, that, that bonding, whatever it was, the bonding of the bones doing the healing that kind of caused a setback. So I, I think... Zaire, at the latest, I would expect early December. But just as we talked about how the Sixers have these bizarre injuries, they have these bizarre setbacks all the time. And there, you know, there was an an injury report released from the Sixers PR the other day that said like Zaire's on track, will update at a future time, and that's a load of nothing. It doesn't mean anything, and it's. We've been getting the same thing every season now with, like you said, all these first-round injuries that go down. So I think his timetable for return is probably somewhere in November or December, but who knows? No, the Celtics blog listeners are going to love that rookie comment you made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bobby, uh, as Kevin said, I, I I heard a lot of the same things, that Simmons was actually ready to go in late January, early February, and it was a combination of the team still being in rebuild mode and losses helping them and the Simmons camp really pushing to have rookie of the year eligibility maintained for the following season. Isn't that Um, something? (laughs) I think the Sixers are in a different place right now. You know, obviously they made the second round of the playoffs next year. They have similar or even higher aspirations this year. So I think once Zaire's healthy, he's going to be out there and the timetable of eight to 12 weeks is what they're looking at with it. And let's be real. I mean, Zaire doesn't have the skill set to rent to win, you know, rookie of the year or, or anything like that. They they need him defensively on the court as soon as possible. There's no reason to lose anymore and they need his depth. So I think that when he's healthy, he will get to go on the he will, he, you know, he'll get the, the full go. Him and Robert Williams are interesting players long term in this rivalry who probably aren't going to project to be big parts of it this year. But as far as this year goes, what do you, what are you guys expecting? 50 wins a year ago out of nowhere after the 28 win season. Deep dive into the playoffs in the second round. I mean, even though you guys were probably a little bit disappointed by how that series turned out. It still is massive growth off what they saw last year. But now, with how much the Celtics are gaining on top of 
the win that they accomplished over them last year. And then Toronto adding Kawhi Leonard, perhaps maintaining their spot in the East above them. What are you guys expecting from the team this year? It's, it's going to be, even though it's a weaker conference, the two teams that are possibly above them look pretty, pretty strong from my vantage point. Uh, we'll stick with possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think, you know, we're looking at, you know, mid-50s again as far as a win total. As we discussed earlier, they didn't get that big free agent. So we're not looking at a, a leap where they're a guaranteed top two seed in the East. I mean, they're still going to have to stay relatively healthy and they're still going to have to see some development from uh, some of their, their young stars. But, you know, last year they won 52 and now we'll have another year of development from Simmons and Embiid. Hope Fultz was a non-factor, basically. He played uh, about a dozen games last season and he wasn't shooting any jumpers at all. If he gives us anything, that's got to be a, a positive as far as uh, helping round out our rotation. And then, you know, as we talked about, Wilson Chandler came in. They got a few other bench pieces to help uh, help the depth. So at, at the least, they should be as good as last season. And if we see some uh, some real jumps from their young stars, then, you know, we could be talking 55, 56 wins maybe um, and pushing Boston and Toronto for – Eastern Conference, Conference Supremacy, we'll see. Who would who would win in a series between them and the Raptors? I, I That's tough. Um, I, I don't even know. I mean, if I'm trying to think about how Toronto deploys Kawhi, and if you put him on Ben, that's going to give him some major issues. And if Fultz isn't you know, what we hope him to be, the Sixers don't have an initiator. Yeah, I think the the X factor is, is what, what do we have in Fultz? If, if Fultz is, I mean, if he's playing, but he's not a factor, if he's just like a seventh, eighth man, then I think the Raptors are the superior roster. But Fultz is a guy that, uh, you know, he plays like a, a rookie would that was, I mean, he won't be a rookie next year, but you know, a guy coming in for his first full season and he plays like a first overall pick, then I think they have the, the talent advantage over Toronto and, Kawhi and Simmons will probably cancel each other out for the most part. I know I'm not saying Simmons is as good as Kawhi, but they, I just don't think they would have any any way to contend with uh, Embiid down low. I mean, Valanciunas is too slow to to deal with Embiid, and then any anybody else they would try to throw at him, I think Embiid would just overpower them. Let me ask you guys this: What what do you think is more likely? Fultz is the prospect we saw at Washington, or Kawhi is the Kawhi we've known in the past? I'm going to go with Kawhi. I'm pretty confident in Kawhi's ability to return. I love the lineups that they're going to be deploying up there. They have so many wings. They're going to look more like the Celtics than the 76ers do next year with all those wings that they can throw out on the court. And if they're smart, they'll play one center. I, I The thing about Kawhi, I wonder, is after the leg injury, is he still going to be shooting threes at the ridiculous rate that he was before? Because what made yeah. him so great was, wasn't the defense. Like, the defense was a given defensive player of the year or mm-hmm. the ball handling that spurred up. But he became, like, nearly, like, a 44% three-point shooter, which is just out of this world. So I'm interested to see if he gets back to that. Everything else, I think he can be relatively the same in that new environment. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I think you're right. I'm still kind of confused about, you know, the real injury, you know, its whole progression of it. We all. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I mean, if if he is, you know, the quiet of old, I mean, I I think 
Toronto is right up there behind the Celtics as far as you know odds on favorite to win the Eastern Conference. And I love the risk. I love the trade. They were probably worse than the 76ers before that trade happened. And afterward, adding Danny Green, too. Like I, I have them above the Sixers this year in the standings. And they'll be right there with the Celtics, too, I think. They're the team I'm worried about, really. Yeah, I mean, you touched on the roster construction. Like If OG Ananobi takes... Even, Isn't it unbelievable you know, the Spurs couldn't get him? I know. I, I that that would have been like kind of my starter in a package, but you know they want to win right now. You know, back to my point. If OG can take a little bit of a leap offensively, I mean, they're, they're like you said, built like the Celtics. You got three, four players that can play guard or forward and kind of switch everything, and it makes for some really tough matchups. Now over to the Celtics. It's pretty obvious what they're returning. Gordon Hayward, Irving, Baines is back, Smart's back. You, you, you can't ask for a quieter, safer offseason than that. Like They won by default just by keeping everything together and returning all this together. Like The Lakers getting LeBron's a big deal, but they're building something. The Celtics have something intact. They're going to be tough to mess with in the East. Is there any way anybody touches that roster? I, I don't think so, just from the perspective of Horford's just such a force in the playoffs that I think he's tough for anybody to match up with. Hayward, I'm a little hesitant about Hayward coming back off his injury, but I think at the very least he can shoot threes for them, which is a plus. And Irving's tough to match up with for anybody too, especially the 76ers. So I look at those three factors and I'm not saying the Celtics going to cruise to the finals, just blowing everybody away warrior style. But I think they have enough to get through these series, say, the way they did in 08 when it was six, seven games every series, but they had the will and the talent to get through it. Yeah, I think if the Celtics stay healthy, they're the clear favorite in the East. Um, there's no there's no way around that. They're just they got the top end talent. They got Irving, Hayward, Horford, all multiple time all stars. Hayward might not have been multiple times. Hayward's one, uh, yeah, one time. One, yeah, because the West was so tough. Uh, the years he was really in his prime with Utah. They're coming. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you got you got your proven all stars. You got your young studs with Tatum and Brown, and you got best coach in the league right now, and Brad Stevens. So I, I don't think there's any way you can touch that. I think if you're somebody else in the East, you got to like hope that they just don't stay healthy. Hayward's coming off a really serious injury. And we saw with Paul George, there's a little bit of a, a rust factor to break off of. Paul George wasn't really the Paul George of old, his first year back from his serious leg injury. And then Kyrie, I know people don't talk about this as much as I think they really should, but he's had multiple surgeries with that knee. Cleveland was pretty okay with just, moving on from him, even though he was a, a young guy in his prime. I know there's the whole LeBron dynamic there, but you don't give up on blue chip point guards that are still, you know, on the right side of 30, like, like they did. And I, I'm just a little worried for him and for everybody that just loves watching him play. Like that could be a degenerative thing with those knees. So, you, you know, if you're someone else in the, in the East, you're, you're hoping they just don't stay healthy. But if, they have their top 10 intact and ready to go in the spring. I don't see how they're not in the finals. That is definitely a long-term concern with him. Cedric Maxwell, one of the team's announcers, said that too. The knees just don't get better with age. There's no way around that. But at this point, I think he can still come back and be an effective contributor this year. With how his progression's gone, he's feeling good about it. He's going to be ready to go full force when training camp gets there. 
So as far as this year, I'm not too concerned. But in the long term, that is a challenging thing for me. And I do think the biggest break for the 76ers right now in the long term is that I just I don't know what he's going to do this summer. I, I have no clue about it. He's given no indication about it. The Knicks rumor is floating. I don't, I don't buy that a ton, but I do buy the fact that he could leave Boston next year just from the fact that players are their own entities nowadays. They aren't attached to organizations. Irving the brand could still survive in any city he wants, whether he's winning or losing. And if he just cares about his happiness, his brand, just being out there and winning isn't as big of a concern for him, then... I'm not going to put it past him to leave Boston, especially when he's given no security whatsoever that he's willing to stay. So that's my biggest fear long-term in this rivalry. Wait, are you saying that Kyrie wouldn't be in a winning situation if he went to the New York Knicks? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. I, I, like, I, I think that would be such a bad move for him if, if oh, he were man, to leave would, Boston. I mean, <laughs> he, would, he would have a tough time living that down. I, I don't know. It, it's such a weird situation. I can't figure out, you know, that whole affinity for the Knicks. I mean, I I get it. Like you said, you know, his, his brand will carry him anywhere. But if if I'm Kyrie, I'm looking to stay in Boston long term. Wherever he goes, he has Uncle Drew too in the pipeline. So he's got he's always got that to fall back on. <laughs> I'm not wildly concerned at this point. There's that narrative about him and Butler want to pair up, or him and Durant want to pair up. So. I don't know. Who knows? I'm I'm not so sold on the Knicks. You know, maybe there's a sleeper destination out there that I haven't thought about too much. I think the only reason the Knicks are out there is because that's where he's from. I mean, he's, yeah. fr- he's from New Jersey technically, but it, it, that's it's an intriguing conversation. I'm sure that's what the 76ers is rooting for because the backup plan at that point becomes Terry Roger, and that's a far cry from Irving. So Liberty Ballers, Celtics blog teaming up all week long. We have a mailbag going. We have a Ben Simmons article up. And there is more to come all week long. I do have some mailbag questions from Celtics blog that we can hit on. I'll throw them at you guys. We'll fire them out real quick, one at a time, for each of you. Uh, For Kevin, I guess. Was the confetti guy fired? I I don't know. You know, I kind of feel like maybe he was like an intern or something like that. Um, if it was me, I, I wouldn't fire the guy. I'd probably just relegate him to maybe like food concessions or something like that. So I hope the guy didn't lose his job, but I, I haven't really gotten to the bottom of that. <laughs> Mr. 13 says, who gives two craps about the 76ers? This is a Celtic site. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Sean, does losing Ilyasova, Bellinelli, and essentially Booker for nothing concern you with the bench shooting and the ability to... Uh, retain and bead. I, I don't get the second part of that question, but does losing Ilyasova, Bellinelli, and Booker, I guess, concern you for depth purposes? A little bit. Booker, obviously, they released during the season last year, so he wasn't really even in the playoff rotation. But yeah, Ilyasova and Bellinelli were both guys that helped space the floor a lot, which is something critical when you have a point guard who doesn't shoot at all. And you have another your other best player is a center and he plays, I know Embiid shoots some from the outside, but he's predominantly in the post. So you need guys to space the floor around him as well. Bellinelli doesn't really worry me just because, you know, we saw in that Boston series when he was exposed defensively, how much it hurt the team because they were just picking on him and it was easy points. So as much as he was helping offensively, he was hurting even more on the defensive end. Well, you said was really the guy I 
think will come back to bite him, bite the team not having him around. Um, not only was he able to space the floor, but he gave them a unique wrinkle where they were playing him a lot as a small ball center, and he was kind of uh, a three. They were playing a three man rotation at the in the front court with MB Dario and Ilyasova, and that Dario Ursan front court was actually really effective. They were both able to space the floor, and. They are both good enough rebounders to kind of get by on that end. And Ilyasova is a good enough, he's stocky enough down low to kind of body up bigger opponents. And he did a good enough job uh, cleaning the glass that it, it kind of worked. I don't know how exactly they're, they're going to replace his minutes in that capacity. They're going to do a little bit more of Wilson Chandler and Robert Covington as small ball fours. They're going to do, uh, they're going to have Mike Muscala thrown in there. We'll, we'll see what they get from him. But if, yeah, if I had to, say one thing that I think they'll be worse off this year than they were last year as a result of all the offseason changes, it would be losing Ilyasova in that kind of small ball five capacity that they were they were using him in for 10 minutes a game. Kevin, another fireball for you here. In an alternative universe where Brian Colangelo does not get outed and remains in charge, how does the 76ers offseason go differently? Uh, oh my gosh, it probably honestly doesn't change a whole lot other than giving JJ Reddick probably twice the amount of money that he got now. <laughs> <laughs> and then probably Bielitsa would actually end up signing with the Sixers as he would have gotten a little more money and probably a little more years. But on a serious note, I, I, I'm not a fan of Brian Colangelo. And I think, you know, you see his type of maneuvers when you look at someone like Jared Bayless or, you know, paying JJ Reddick. $23 million a year. Um, he, he's somebody that is looking to kind of bring in a, you know, a quote unquote veteran presence and, you know, call it stability. But really what it is, is kind of moves that are lateral and, you know, you're bringing in mediocre players and not that the Sixers have made too much of a splash this summer, but they've preserved a huge amount of flexibility financially speaking i think they'll have something like 44 million dollars going in the next summer i don't know I, I think brian i'll give him the benefit of the doubt i think he could have you know had the foresight to know that next summer would be their last chance to really strike so i, I don't think it would have changed too much but um i, I you know maybe mikhail bridges is still a sixth or i think that that might be more likely than you know the value move that the sixers made and getting Zaire and that 2021 pick. So maybe, you know, that, that kind of, I, I would say that that might be the biggest difference. I don't know if that's a Brian Colangelo type move to move someone like Mikhail, who's seen, you know, more as an, an, an instant upgrade on the death chart than, you know, compared to Zaire and get that future pick. So I think maybe that's probably the area I would say that, you know, really doesn't happen other than that. I don't know. You know, the Wilson Chandler trade is something that I didn't like and something that I think is something Brian Colangelo would do. So I, honestly, I don't think it changes too, too much, but maybe some veterans get a little more money and, you know, maybe Mikael Bridges is still a Sixer and the Sixers don't have that asset in 2021. I gave them a lot of credit for the Bridges pick. And then next thing I know, he's not even on the 76ers. So that's how draft night went for me. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have done that trade if I was um, picking up a long-term picks. Nice, but I feel like a player who won championships at the college level and was a little bit more seasoned in Bridges would have helped a team that needs a little bit more media help. Sean, last question's for you. Fultz, is there any situation where you would deal him and how long 
of a leash do you think they'll be on his development? Say if he starts struggling again this year, is there going to be concerns and a move made on him if there aren't any immediate improvements? I don't think there's going to be a move made on him. Right now, his value is at an all-time low. Uh, so if he was to struggle out of the gate, there's nothing you can do except keep throwing him out there and hope that he, you know, writes the ship. You're, you're not going to trade him. You know, I don't know what you would get for him, but it, would, it wouldn't be a package uh, commensurate with his talent level. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I would trade him, but I, I wouldn't do that until, you know, potentially down the road when he's reestablished that he is capable of being a, a threat on all three levels of the offensive end and shown kind of that defensive versatility we discussed a little bit earlier. Um, then, you know, if you rebuild his value, then you can start thinking about it. You know, it's a league where no one's untouchable. Um, but, yeah, I think they'll they'll throw him out there and they'll hope that everything Drew Hanlon has said this summer is the truth. And he's, he's you know, ready to be that player we all hoped he would be when he first arrived in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I, just to add on that, I mean, I they're going to live by Fultz or die by Fultz. There you have it. That is 76ers Celtics week. Kevin Love is the last one you heard. Sean Kennedy before him. You can check out their work on both Celtics blog and Liberty Ballers this week as we continue to team up through the end of it. Guys, I'm sure I'll talk to you again this year. Plenty. Thanks for having me on, Bobby. I had a lot of fun talking about you know this rivalry, and, and I'm looking forward to the season. Hopefully we can chat a little more once the season starts. Yeah, thanks for having us, Bobby. And uh, it's been a fun week. I've enjoyed uh, talking with you guys and uh, being being friendly until uh, October rolls around and we can be at each other's throats again. Good night, everybody. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.